0: series on Ruth. How exciting is that? So you missed the whole thing. So it, good luck. Catch it up because we're just going to power through. No, I'm joking. We're at the end of the Ruth and, then, and the book of Ruth and this has been an amazing experience, at least for me. Uh, I'm speaking for me, okay? And it's been an amazing time for me. I, I've learned and as a community, I feel like we have grown more just from this little series than we ever have. And so one of the things that I want to point to is that this is going to be one of those sermons that's all about God, all right? It's all about God. There is a temptation up here to sit down and try to get clever about how can I make sure that it hits for you guys, make sure that it brings you guys to life, make sure that it it says exactly what you need at this time. And the Lord said... Say who I am, and it will hit. Okay, yeah. and so the Lord's like, get out of the way, Kurt, because I'm about to say this is who I am. Okay, All right. and so there's two things that we have talked about that I have taken from the redeem se- from the from this series. One, we have to have a deep understanding of God as Redeemer. Okay, God as Redeemer. God is Redeemer. What does that mean? I talked about it a couple weeks back. It means that He is simply bringing back and buying back what was already his, okay? If you're in a room, in the room, and you're not yet a believer, the Lord is after you because you are his, because he is redeemer, okay? He is coming for you because he's just buying you back. On the cross, his blood was buying you back. How amazing is that? This is who he always has been. And throughout the Hebrew text and throughout the New Testament, we see since the time that he... Open the river, I mean open the sea, and the Israelites gotta walk through out of Egypt to the time of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has been redeemer. He has been redeeming us. And Marty said it last week. The story of Ruth is where we see how God operates as redeemer. So we've we've learned that. Number two, God then uses us in the redeeming. You are redeemed. To be part of his redeeming, okay? This is who we now are called to. Why? Because he called us into his redeeming. Ruth is such a nice story. We see it, right? It's, it's a nice story, but what we see within it is the Lord working in powerful, powerful ways, alright? Yeah. So, there's enough room, I was, I wrote in my notes, I said, if there's enough new people in the room, I will go over the story of Ruth. So, if you've been here for the whole story series, I'm sorry, we're going to a quick overview, okay? <laughs> story of Ruth. Ruth and her husband travel out of Bethlehem, because there's a famine and they go into a land called Moab, right? So, they go in, and they go to Moab, and Noah her sons married two Moabite women, okay? There's, there's Ruth and there's Orba, right? And what happens is they find that the son dies, the, the dad dies, and the sons die, and so now you're stuck here with Naomi and with Ruth and with Orba with no security, no way to move forward, right? And they hear that there's there's famine is over in Bethlehem, so they're going to make the trek back, right? And Orpah does what any normal person would do, right? And she says, my security is in Moab. I'm going and going back to my family. I'm going back to where I'm from. But Ruth, it says, clean to Naomi. She said, I'm going to take the harder route. And so they now, Naomi, and now Ruth, Ruth is a gleaner. What does a cleaner mean? She is picking up the leftover scraps that are in the field. That is her life. As a widow and as a foreigner, there is no hope. She is now going into fields and picking up what is left. That is now her life. And she finds herself where? She finds herself in the field of Boaz. And what we see with Boaz is Boaz welcomes her in. And it's a love story for the ages, right? It's a wonderful love story. But this story moves from good to great because of two lines in this scripture, okay? The first line and the last line are the most important lines in the book of Ruth. If not, it's just a great love story. I really love a good love story. It's like watching the notebook, right? But what we see is that it's the first and the last line that adds significance. Remember the first line because there's huge ramifications and there's ramifications for us, Ruth 1-1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We talked about this briefly throughout the whole story. But this is the backdrop of what's happening. And this line is so significant for us today. Because what we see is that this is kind of how our time operates as well. There's there's a parallel, I believe. So what is a judge, all right? One-on-one. You might be thinking, okay, this is a court, you know, you're walking into court, you got the robe on, this is a person that uh, has your fate in their hands, right? My one of my teachers, my favorite teachers, her husband was a judge, and I was scared to death of this dude, right? <laughs> they're they're solemn, they're they're focused. but this is not what's going on. What we really see is that Means in the days when rulers ruled, okay. In the days when rulers ruled, right after the death of jo- Joshua, Moses, second in command, he is the one that lead the Israelites into the Promised Land after uh, Moses' death. So we are moving as a people group. So Ruth and Naomi, we move from as a people group from a time of conquest of battle after battle in the name of the Lord to get to the promised land to now a time of settling. They are settling in the land. And what we see is that there's rulers or judges that get put into place. And we don't fully know how each one comes to power, but we see often often they're referred in the text as mighty men of valor or mighty men of wealth. This is who they are. That can be translated to this. They're charismatic. They're engaging. People like them. They're charming, and they get to a level of influence. What we don't see with them is they're not picked because of their character, and they're not picked because they fear the Lord, okay? That's not what they're, what's happening. In a worldly sense, this is who you would pick to lead you. It it, it makes sense. They got all the stuff. They got all the money. They got all the charm. And so they find their way up into power. They probably had extraordinary talents, but these people who have been in distress for so long, these people who are tired, that's who they would think would bring them relief. That's kind of how we operate as well, right? But note, there's one thing that didn't happen on a whole. There wasn't religious revival that happens under their watch, okay? So there's not a lot of religious activity happening. And what we see is seven times in the book of Judges, it says, The descendants of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they forgot the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And so what we see is that as you read the book of Judges, almost every page, Israel is in spiritual decline. Yeah. That's what's happening. And we see throughout the book of Judges, there is a mix that's happening. There is a mix of serving Yahweh, of serving the one true God, mixed with serving these Canaanite gods. And so this is the backdrop of what's happening. And twice in the book uh, of Judges, in chapter 17 and 21, and then a couple other places that's similar, we see this. In those days, Israel had no king. So what happens? Everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did as he saw fit. So the book of Judges, there are very few human heroes, okay? There are very few human heroes that are happening. And what we see is that this is a time of chaos a bit. There's chaos that's happening in the land. And in this time, we see incredible characters. We see the powerful uh, uh, loyalty of Ruth, right? She clings to Naomi. In the time of chaos, she chooses the harder route. Do we see that? And then we see Boaz. There's this remnant, surely, within all of this, this remnant within Israel, people that are still trying to serve the Lord. And so Boaz joins with God in redeeming Ruth and Naomi's life. And this is the backdrop. It's important because this is kind of a mirror for us. I believe that this is a mirror for the time that we live in. In the time of Judges, it's a time of jealousy it's a time of self-centeredness it's a time of religious decline it's a time of mix of faith and paganism okay you can't tell the difference of what's going on it's a time of chaos and i believe that we live in a time of chaos as well where everyone does what they seem fit right now There's a lot more selfish pursuit happening than godly pursuit. I want to be very careful. This is the time usually when the church picks up stones and starts throwing them at the world. Yes, that's happening outside of the church building. But dare I say, sometimes it happens inside the church building as well. Where jealousy and self-centeredness and a mix of living in the way of the world and mixing my faith with it begins to see the decline. Right. So we're we're saying it is happening out there. Let's also put a mirror up to ourselves. Is this a time where we're doing whatever we see fit in our own eyes? We have to fight chaos. You know, I was thinking about chaos this week. Um, I had the unique opportunity. Uh, it was a very unique opportunity. One of the kids that comes to redeem had asked me to come to a preschool breakfast with him. And he said, it's because the pastor is my friend. How fun is that? All right, It was the cutest thing in the world. All right, I loved it. It was one of the highlights of my whole time pastoring. And so it's the cutest thing. They get up there and they're lining up and they're singing songs. They painted some stuff. They're Introducing each other, and everything's going great. And I'm sitting there at the table thinking, This is awesome. I'm loving this. And so then the uh, the, the, the kid comes and hangs out with me, and I'm sitting around the table with all these different people with the kids, and it's awesome. And I'm thinking, This thing's wrapping up. This is great. I'm having a great time. And then they say, Hey, let's just eat a little bit more. And a a woman comes up, and and it was amazing. And she really meant the, 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 the best, but she just starts talking. And she talked for 20 minutes. And pure chaos is happening. Have you ever tried to keep a preschooler busy for 20 minutes? And I'm sitting there trying to deal with this and looking at her like, because I know how bad it is when no one's listening to you. I know what it's (laughs) like. So I'm acting like I'm listening. As, As my little buddy's got yogurt. Starts so crawling and pulling on my jeans. All of a sudden, there's a kid that's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And my kid's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh my goodness. For 20 minutes, this woman talked. It was awesome. And I learned nothing. I think we're supposed to be kind. is the sense I got was the whole point. She could have just said that. Be kind, let's go home, right? But as I was driving back, I was thinking about chaos because I'm working on this thing and i was needing to come off the high that I just experienced. And all of us experience chaos in some ways, right? Some of us have chaos in our insides. I've many times had chaos in my inside. Anxiety and fear and worry and can't control our thoughts, do you have that? Now here's the problem with chaos on the inside. Chaos on the inside keeps us from hearing from the Lord and seeing how the Lord is moving in powerful ways in our lives. And so chaos in the inside can give us a clouded view, right? Some of us have chaos in our immediate circles. Uh-oh. Thanksgiving time. Chaos in our immediate circle. Family, friends, jobs, finances, these things that are just outside of our inside but radically impact our lives. And we're trying to deal with the chaos in the middle of that as well. Some of us have cha- Actually, all of us have chaos in our world, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of us are watching more news than we ever have. Some of us have completely turned off the news because we can't handle it. There is a level of chaos that is happening in our world. And at the same time, we're more aware of the chaos than any time before, <laughs> right? There, we're more aware of what's going on in the world than Ruth and Naomi and Boaz would have. Mm-hmm. But what we see is that we get fearful and we get anxious we don't know how to process it. So all of us are experiencing chaos in some or all areas of our lives, okay? We're experiencing this. All of us in our insides and in our immediate family are like a bunch of preschoolers that are throwing pineapple and getting yogurt in their hair sometimes, right? That's how our world feels. But in the middle of it, We have to get deep in our souls, this understanding, for the fact that God is our Redeemer. In the middle of chaos, the only hope you have, the only hope you have is understanding God is Redeemer. When we realize that, the chaos begins to slow down. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Mm. The chaos begins to get a little quiet. Your family's still straight crazy, but it's a little bit quieter straight crazy, right? The anxiety might still be there, but like a pilot light, it's not ramped up to high. It's like a one or a two. But chaos begins to be softened, begins to be quieted when we say, God, you are a redeemer. I don't have to do anything. You are redeeming things, right? And God uses us in that chaos too. That's part of the problem. Yeah. So, as we go through Ruth, we talk about the first line. Now, I'm going to finish the book of Ruth, and there are three important God aspects that I see in here as God as Redeemer, okay? So, the first one we see is this one. God redeems the here and the now. God redeems the here and the now, all right? Ruth 4, 13. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Marty did an awesome job talking about this, but Boaz gets married, right? He gets married, and we see that he goes with her, meaning there's nine months later, here's where we're at, okay? And Boaz is going to have a son, right? Or Boaz and Ruth are gonna have a son. And what we see is that um, she has become his wife, and the social progression of uh, Ruth is now officially complete, okay? She has gone from, Foreigner, to gleaner, to maidservant, to wife. This is a huge progression for her, right? And we see that Boaz had a baby with her, right? We can read through the lines on what happens. And we see that this line is so important. The Lord gave Ruth a son. This is a huge statement. Think about this, okay? If you've been with us this whole time, Ruth was married to Naomi's son In Moab for probably 10 years. And they were not able to have kids. Orpah and Ruth were not able to have children. And what we see here is that without hesitation, it says the Lord graciously granted Ruth the gift of a son. The narrator in the Hebrew is saying this. There is a miracle that's taking place right here. There is a miracle that's happening. For 10 years, she wasn't able to have a kid. And now the miracle is she's having a kid. She's conceived. She is taken it to full term, and she has given birth to a son nonetheless. And what we see is that with Ruth's life, and it's very important. If you get anything out of the sermon, get this. And Ruth's life, there's not one miracle that happens. There isn't be one miracle. I want to see the seas open and me just walk right through, right? (laughs) Many of us see that. There's no fire from heaven. There's no, there's, God can move in that way. But what we see is that there's one little story about redemption after little story of redemption after little story of redemption, little miracles that add up, that lead to complete restoration in her life. And I'm so thankful for this series and Ruth. I have a unique perspective. Whenever, as the pastor, I get to stand up here, and I don't know everything that's going on, but I know a lot of things that's going on, and I get to see the body as a whole, okay? And I get to see where God is moving. And I'm telling you, I'm just going to put some things down. In this series, during this series, we have seen healings happen. We had a surgery from somebody who has been waiting months, if not years, for this surgery, all of a sudden a spot opened up and within a week they moved into surgery. We had, um, we had uh, debts forgiven. Someone had a lot of debt and it was literally forgiven. Uh, we had uh, financial favor happen when needed. We've had jobs that have opened up. We've had relationships with wayward children come here. Isn't that amazing? Like people that were like, my kids are so far away, I can't even imagine them coming in. And it's like, oh, here we go, right? It's the little miracles it's the little miracles of course we want like just just something to bust open I get that but we can miss it if we're not careful because the Lord redeems through the little miracles many of us are still waiting I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that many of us are still waiting for the redemption to happen but we keep in trust here's what we see though God's redemption often doesn't look like the one miracle moment of course it can but we see small redemptive things happening so we see God moving in the here and now. What do we also see? Let's keep going. Ruth 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, says Ruth, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Seven sons is the... ...perfect family. That's like the... ...in the Israelite nation. They're saying that she's more precious than seven sons, than the perfect family that you could imagine. And she has given birth to him. Naomi's bitterness is finally replaced with joy. And we see probably the same women who when she came back said, who is is this? Is this Naomi? Who is this? And Naomi, remember, she answers, I'm not even Naomi. I'm Mara. I'm giving myself a new name. The Lord's made my life so bitter that I am changing my name. And these women who asked this question and Naomi who answered the question this way are now coming together and they're blessing the Lord because of this day. Because he has provided redemption for Naomi. As I was thinking about this line, I was thinking, do we have a culture of this here? Do we have a culture of this here? The answer is probably no. Do I have a a culture of this in my family? As the head of my family, do I set up this culture in my family? I was thinking about this a lot. We move fast. I move fast and the chief of all sinners here, right? You guys, if you know me or if you come early to church, you see that I move fast, right? I bounce around from one thing to one thing. And when things move or things get redeemed in people's lives... We don't really celebrate. Have you noticed that? When someone comes and says, hey, I got a prayer request, we will pray with you. We will pray for you. We are in a scene for you. And then the Lord, like, answers it. Or the Lord moves and it's like, oh, that's great. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Let's on to the next need or problem. (laughs) But we don't spend time and say, bless you, Lord. Bless you for doing this. And it's incredible that you're doing this. And Naomi and these women are, bless you, Lord, for you you have done it. And they're not saying, bless you, Lord, because the land is now taken care of. No, no, no. They're saying, this widow who was empty, who came back completely lost and empty, is now full because of this child. So we say, bless you, Lord. We celebrate together. We celebrate together. We need to celebrate mm-hmm. any time that people move from empty to full in this congregation, right? Yeah. Listen, this is all of you, but leaders, listen to me, leaders in this church, we have to get this culture going. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't, then we're gonna move from one fire to the next fire, and when the next fire comes out, we're gonna freak out just as much as the last fire. Because instead of celebrating where the Lord has moved, where the Lord has done the thing that we asked him to do or did the thing that we didn't even think was possible yeah. we celebrate yeah. we bless the lord with our mouth we bless bless the lord with our tongues yeah. we bless the lord with our hearts yeah. Yeah. and then we see this ruth four sixteen. then naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and she became his nurse Naomi's response to Boaz and Ruth's son is to take him, and the Hebrew world here is actually to take him and put him at his chest, put it at her chest. A position just of loving embrace. Mm-hmm. She's taken him and she's lovingly embracing this child. She becomes his nurse or her nanny, and, and there's a there's a controversy there's a, there's a debate on if she adopts the child or if she makes it or if it's just a grandmother's love, but Naomi loves this child. And the amazing part is about to happen. Do you know when uh, someone's telling a story, this probably is mostly me, so I apologize, when someone's telling a story, and it's a really great story, it's totally great, but you're like, I have no idea why this person's telling me this story, right? <laughs> expert expert. Expert storytellers, they do this, right? They tell a story, and then at the end, they're gonna bring a line in that makes complete sense and and makes it like, oh, now I see why you were telling this story. Now I see why this is going. And what we're gonna see here is the last line makes the whole story of Ruth important. Mm -hmm. It goes from a nice story to a significant story. And the last word in the book of Ruth is this, David. The last word in the book of Ruth is David. Now, why is that important? We see this. Not only is God going to redeem the here and the now, God is going to redeem generations. Ruth 4, 17-21. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The birth of Obed moves. From just a personal crisis that Naomi and Ruth are having having, to historical significance. Mm -hmm. We could be reading this book and it's like, man, this is a great love story. But all of a sudden, it's like slap you in the face, David's name appears, okay? Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about why that's important. The significance is this. Through Obed's son, Jesse, we see King David. Generational impact is happening throughout this story. Throughout the book, the narrator is deliberately showing how God and then us show this characteristic of Hesed, right? We talk about this over and over again loving kindness, mercy, grace. Faithfulness, these these characters have such a deep love for God, and such a, a, a deep love for each other that through it we see God's hand, and through Obed, we see God has one more surprise. There's providence happening here. This is the genealogy of David. Thus, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah. That's why it's so important. Yeah. We see the story is of David's great-grandmother and then Jesus' family line, Matthew 1. Pop it up there. You will not be able to read this. It's probably too small. But look, it's right there. In Jesus' genealogy, right? We see the same pattern right here. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and the Jesse of the father of who? King David. There's a generational redeeming that's happening. And think about this right here. Think about this, leave this up. Boaz's mother is Rahab. Who is Rahab? Rahab and Joshua too, she plays a critical role. She hides two spies, right? She introduces this, a prostitute named Rahab. This is the line. Then we see this. Rahab gives birth to Boaz. Boaz's mother, and he marries Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner. All this is to set up King David, who was not even supposed to be in that line. I mean, he's in that line biologically, but he wasn't supposed to be the next person up. Look at this, 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Saul, the first king of Israel, right? The Lord has removed his blessing from Saul, right? And so Samuel is supposed to go out and do some work for the Lord. Since I rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehem hot Man, I practiced that 15 times. (laughs) A person from Bethlehem. I have a speech impediment. I try my hardest. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, saying, Do you come peacefully? And he said, peacefully, "Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourself, and come with me to the sacrifice." And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, what's going on? He's like, I'm, 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 I'm supposed to find the next king through Jesse's line. When they came, he looked at Eli- Eliab. And thought surely the Lord anointed, anointed, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees; man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, "Neither has the Lord chosen this one." Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said neither has the lord chosen this one and jesse made seven of his sons pass before samuel and samuel said to jesse the lord has not chosen these Uh uh-oh what's going on then samuel said to jesse are there are all your sons here and he said there remains yet the youngest but before behold he is keeping the sheep and samuel said to jesse send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel is going through all the sons of Jesse. And the first one comes by. And it's like, we know this about him. He was impressive in appearance and stature. This is the way that we would have chosen the leader, right? That's the dude. Let me anoint that guy, right? We, we see it. He's talented. He's handsome. He's powerful. Let's get the anointing going. Now, what are we waiting for? The Lord said, this is not who it is. God has always been about the heart. He's not the one, is what he says. And Jesse goes through all seven. And it says the youngest. And this actually, the Hebrew word actually means the small one. He's like, no, it is the, the, the run. That's yeah, right, the small one. And not only that, but like I kind of reserved him to be the shepherd out in the field. Yeah. Like he's, I guess we could go get him if we had to, right? Same so as let's go get him. This is the bloodline of Jesus. This is the bloodline of our king. This is what God is doing from generation to generation. And I want to end here, but we do one, we see one more thing. God redeems the eternal. Mm-hmm. Revelation 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. This is John saying that. And one of the elders said to him, "To said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals, and between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it would have been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, with which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of heaven. What a moment. Notice there are two two ways that he's described. So Jesus that's getting talked about. The line of the tribe of Judah, He's saying there is one kingly figure. This is what we this is what we sing about. Listen, if you're in the room and you're not yet a believer, this is Jesus sitting on the throne. This is the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. This is happening whether you like it or not, okay? Yeah. This is reality, not a figure of speech. Jesus is on the throne. Yeah. He's described as a lion of Judah. He's the only one who can secure the obedience of the nations, alright? This is the fulfillment of Jacob on his deathbed, right? This is what's happening right now in the heavenlies, all right? And then number two, it says he also calls him the root of David. This worthy one, the one who's going to bring God's rule here on earth, he's the fulfillment of the promises throughout the Hebrew scriptures. God has an eternal plan that's happening as well. One that we see orchestrated in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's life. He is setting up the eternal destiny, the eternal plan through all that he's doing in the redemptive power of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. This is the God that we serve. Jesus on the throne. Jesus, the only one who's worthy. The Lion of Judah, also the Root of David who's generation after generation after generation, whose dad, or his mom is Ruth the Moabite, whose dad is Boaz, the son of a prostitute. He's sitting there on the throne. That's why the line Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David has eternal ramifications. Not only Jesus is the lion, he's also the lamb. I'll call the band up. Revelation 5, 7 through 10. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This moment in heaven, thousands and thousands of years before, through Naomi and Ruth and Boaz in the field. So whenever you're experiencing chaos in your life, we have the propensity, we do, to do the things that look right in our own eyes. Raise your hand if that's you. I'm not going to make you do that because if not, everyone's hand should be raised. The propensity to do whatever is right in our own eyes. But like Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, this is the world that we live in. There's a mirror to us. And we, when we live as God, as the Redeemer, it changes everything. Someone needs to hear that. You have to understand that God is Redeemer. Redeemer. We have to believe that God is going to redeem the things here and now. Even when we think there is no way, I love that song, even when we don't see it, we know that he's working. Even when we did not think it was going to turn out the way that we thought it was going to turn out, God is redeeming all of those situations. And he's setting things up for generational impact. I love baptizing people. I love it. I particularly love baptizing people with kids. And I'll say this what, why? I say, when we baptize you, we are showing the significance of the moment of what the Lord has brought you out of. You're dead in your sins and you're raised to new life, right? But when you have kids... The Lord is doing something to redeem generation after generation. When you are coming out of the water, not only are you forgiven their sin, but you say, yes, Lord, get my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Because generationally, the Lord, when you say yes, he's saying, we are setting a new trajectory, not the old trajectory. And the here and now... The Lord is going to move even when you don't see it. But you have to trust. If you are a parent, your redeemed life is going to redeem things for their future generations. And then if that wasn't good enough, it all doesn't matter. Because in the eternal space, God has redeemed you. There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that you can say or do to redeem yourself. And the Lord says, through Naomi and Boaz and Ruth, I'm going to be setting something into motion. Yes. The forever impact is happening. He redeems forever. If you're here and you're questioning that, I just want to speak to you. I'm going to ask every eye up here, because this is a destiny moment. The Lord Jesus is on the throne. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who is slain for me and for you. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one worthy. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying only you are worthy. So I put my full trust and faith. When we put our complete faith and trust in Jesus, we are saying yes to the Lion and the Lamb. Good. Jesus' blood is the only thing that makes us worthy. He's the only one who can redeem you and me. All that shame, all that guilt, all that confusion, all that anger, all that pain that you're holding, and I know many of you are holding it. Only he can redeem it. I'm telling you, if you keep trying to hold it, you're gonna make it worse. If Naomi and Ruth and Boaz drew up a plan of how this was going to work, it probably wouldn't work that way. But instead, when you move forward and you let the Lord redeem your life and you let the Lord do the work, it begins to open up because he's the one on the throne. You're not on the throne. He's on the throne. You are not on the throne. Take yourself off the throne and put him on the throne and say, you are the worthy one. Only he can open the scroll. John's weeping because who can open this? It's only him. This is the God we serve. This is the God who is redeeming. Go ahead and stand up. going to do a new song. Everyone loves when I do new songs. But this is a song where we're crying out the truth, okay? If you're here and you're insecure or you're feeling uncertain, I want with your mouth to proclaim this, that Jesus is on the throne. That Jesus, only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus is worthy, okay? So we're going to sing a new song. It's really simple. You'll get it after the first couple times. But I want you to sing it from that area that you need the Lord to redeem. I have a couple things that I want the Lord to redeem in my life. And we are just saying this. Only you are worthy. I'm not worthy. So thank you, Lord. That you are worthy. That even when we don't see it, you're working. Lord, that you redeem the here and now. So we take all the things that we are struggling with, the things that we are holding back, Lord, the insecurities that we have, the the fears that we have, the anxieties that we have, the broken relationships that we have, and we release them to the only one who can redeem. And Lord, we trust you from generations to generations. Each one of us, we know, Lord, that what we're doing as we join in your redemption. It's not about this moment. It's about the moment after this moment. It's about generation after generation, and you have been so faithful in that. And then, Lord, we thank you for our eternal salvation being secured by the one who's sitting on the throne. I've tried for years to be good enough, and I fail time and time again. And so we release to you that you are worthy, that it's your blood, rest in your goodness, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Root of David. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.